Think Red Ink Ministries presents The Words of Jesus series with Don C. Harris Hello my friends, welcome once again to the Words of Jesus series. Don Harris, Think Red Ink Ministries. Uh, we just finished uh, uh, number uh, chapter 55 in our book, and uh, which puts us at chapter 56. And this is where Jesus teaches that all else must be forsaken. Um, Jesus was pretty emphatic about this particular idea that we will not enter the kingdom of God when we have not forsaken all else. Wow, that's, uh, that's really hard for many of us. Um, because we all have this, this line that we have drawn saying that when it talks about all, it comes to this line and it stops. Some people draw that line in different places. Um, sometimes I don't think that we understand the principle that is behind this idea of forsaking everything. Because, you know, the Bible teaches if you lose these things, that they will be added to you. You know, this is not a matter of nuclear war. It's not a matter of, you know, somebody coming into the home and killing your children. Uh, it's not a matter of your house burning down. This is a matter of people who have lost certain things along the way because of their stand, their faith in Jesus Christ, their stand in the kingdom of God. I don't think a lot of people understand that this is not just general loss. This is not only people who turn their back on us because we're Christian. These are people on which we must turn our backs because they are simply not with us. And they're a detriment. And they are a drain on our, uh, on our Christian life. There are some people you ought not hang around anymore since you've become a Christian. You ought not hang around those people anymore. They're going to take you down. There are some people who, uh, who's, well, uh, you hate to you know, assign a motive to what they're doing. But it's really difficult to find something other than a, uh, than a, a sinister motive on their part. That they're constantly dragging down your resolve to be Christian. Um, it's, it's, it's like the drunk that wants, wants you to have a drink with him. Well, what does me drinking have to do with you drinking? I don't understand that. Well, we, we as Christians, with understanding... We know exactly what that is. If you don't, perhaps you should get understanding to understand that every one of us within us, we know when we're doing wrong. We know that what we're doing is frowned upon by society or our mom or our dads or our God. I'm convinced of this. I, you know, people say, should we teach our children the difference between right and wrong? Well, I don't know. Maybe you ought to let your children teach you the difference between right and wrong. I think they're closer to it than we are. They know when things are wrong. 
they, they know when they're doing the wrong thing. And you do too. This is why, uh, you know, people say, why do good, bad things happen to good people? There is no good people. <laughs> what planet do you live on? Uh, why does uh, God allow these things to happen to us when, um, you know, when, when we, you know, we're trying to do good? Because you're not trying to do good? Perhaps that is, you know, something you need to consider. Not so you would understand why the bad thing happened, because I frankly don't believe that. I believe what, uh, what Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, hey, I'm an old man now, and here's what I found. Good and bad things happen to good and bad people, and it's a shame. Jesus says good things happen to good people, bad things happen to good people, bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people but you don't need to perish by them. You see, the principles of the scriptures explain this stuff in no uncertainty. You don't have to buy a book about why bad things happen to good people. <laughs> you don't have to do that. The truth is, is that we're all bad people. And, and, and why is it? Because we do bad things? No, because we go against our conscience. It's one of the principles that I give you all the time. Keep the commandments. Don't go against your conscience. Take time every day to hear the voice of God. Why do you think I do that? Well, we need to learn to listen to our consciences again. You don't have to sit around. Nobody, but nobody has ever called me and asked me, do you really think that it's right? Is it really the right thing to do to serve mixed vegetables when there's a salad on the table? <laughs> or or uh, do you really think it's the right thing to do to wax your car too much? Or nobody ever does that. What are they calling and asking about? They're asking questions about morality, questions about what's, you know, what they know within themselves. They're violating the law of God. That's why they're asking. We, we know these things. We just need to be honest. Well, the truth is, is that there are many things within us that we know are the right things to do. And we know that there are certain things that we do that are the wrong things to do. And many times we know within ourselves that all things must be given over to God. All things must be forsaken. All things. Now, you might have been trained differently. You might have had some preacher tell you, oh yeah, join the church. God needs electric guitar players. Oh, he needs them. Yeah, he, he really wants them. You know, you know, don't lay down your talent. Just bring it to the church and we'll sanctify it. Friend, I'm going to tell you something. You want to use your musical talent for God? Lay it down. Let him resurrect it. You want to use your talent for sing, your vocal talent, your singing talent, your speech talent, your teaching talent? I understand that. We all want to serve God with whatever talents we have. But you need to lay it down. You need to let him re resurrect it. Or what you're going to do is you're going to bring that stinky, filthy, worldly crap into the church. Oh, I guess that's already happened. Never mind. <laughs> or what am I trying to preserve? Churches sound like bars. <laughs> anyway, well, they sound like I've heard bars sound. Uh, all right. 
So Jesus was teaching that all... Uh, all right, too much levity? Okay. <laughs> Jesus teaches that uh, all else must be forsaken. Let's read what he had to say here. A man came to Jesus and said, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Ooh, that sounds like something we ought to memorize. Sounds very churchy. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath now where to lay his head. In other words, <laughs> do you want to think about that a minute? I don't know where you think you're going. I don't know what you think this is. But uh, this is not your grandma's church. <laughs> When we say that we want to follow Jesus, I think a lot of times we're not, ex you know, you know how I despise the idea, uh, the concept, the word, everything about accepting Jesus. Oh, I accepted Jesus when I was six. I accepted Jesus the other day. My husband accepted Jesus. I, I, it just really, really bothers me because what I have found he couldn't care less if you accept him. He's not waiting for you to accept him. Here's your duty, friend. Your duty is to live in such a way that he accepts you. That goes against a lot of the faith teachers. Well, he's made me acceptable in the beloved. He's made you capable of being accepted. You're right about that. But if you think that he's imputed righteousness to you, imputed to you acceptance on his part you're just you're wrong you're just absolutely wrong i'm sorry we don't have time to talk about so much you know add so many words that make you feel better but you're just wrong he's, he's not looking for people to accept him he's looking for acceptable people and that can be you if you want it to be you but here's what you're going to have to do you're going to forsake everything you think 99% is good enough? 90, if 99% is good enough, surely 98 is close enough. 97 still in the same percentile, right? You'll dwindle that down to 65% of your life. You'll do, dwindle that down to where church is 25% of your life. You'll, you'll, what you'll do is, is you'll dwindle it down until your religion is something that you do on Sunday. And then just half a day. And then just a perhaps a prayer at night. Teach your kids to pray over the meal. Well, yeah, that makes Christians out of them. Yeah, good thinking. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord is my soul to keep. Now, let's not let them go to sleep until they talk about death here. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Is that a salvation prayer? Are you really teaching your, chid, ch your children to... Uh, to, to pray a prayer of salvation every night? Really? Is that what you're doing? You know what you're doing? No, you don't. You're just doing what everybody else is doing. You're doing what's acceptable to them. What? You don't teach your children to pray? Does the Bible teach us to pray over our food or to be thankful for it? What does it tell us to do? Well, Jesus prayed over his food Jesus prayed a prayer of thanks every time a, a, a meal was miraculously provided. When nets were filled with fishes, when uh, bread was made abundant to feed 5,000 people, 
Yeah, of course he did. But uh, mostly, we just need to be thankful. We're the most ungrateful things on the earth. You know, my pussycat looks back at me when I pour him a saucer of milk with a, th with a look of thanks on his face. And we're not even thankful to God for what we have? Come on. We're, we're just pitiful creatures. You know, sometimes I look at some of the things that Jesus told us to do and compare it with the way we live, and I'm thinking, why doesn't he destroy us and just start all over again? And I think, oh my goodness, he's had that thought a couple of times. Maybe, maybe that's what will happen. I don't know. Um, but, hey, can we just be a little more thankful? One of the things that will make you a thankful person, make you a grateful person, is when you forsake everything you have. When you, when you lay down everything you have, and, and I tell people there's nothing wrong with holding anything, as long as you hold it with an open hand. When you hold things with an open hand, it tells the world, this is mine. But it also tells the world, this is yours if you need it. Wow, there's a Christian attitude. Who has that attitude? Well, precious few people, I'll tell you. But you know what? The, see, there's also a, a forsaking of things that we have. When he says you need to forsake all, we need to be, in, in a lot of cases, not necessarily going and selling everything we have, like he told that, that, that poor kid that day that uh, wanted to know how to um, en enhance his life and become... And, and move toward regeneration. Um, but um, not only do we, you know, that's in the offing, that's in the possibility, the realm of possibility. That perhaps is an option. But, you know, in a lot of cases, it's just being willing. It's being willing. Are you willing to give, perhaps, your car to someone who needs it? Well, well they're really going to have to need it. I'm going to have to see a, a record of use of public transportation. Or uh, they're going to have to at least walk a mile or two to work. <laughs> you got all these conditions and all this stuff. You don't walk a mile to work. <laughs> you, you don't have any record like you're asking of these people. Are you really loving your neighbors yourself? When I told you to keep the commandments, you said you don't keep the ten, you keep the two. That's what you told me. You love your neighbor as yourself. I don't think you do. <laughs> but are we willing to hold these things that we own with an open hand? Are we willing to hand these things over to people who need them? Um, that is a form of forsaking all. Do you really think that the Lord is your supplier? I know you thank God for that car when you bought it. Well, you know, the preacher's going to ask you if you did. And you better be able to say you did. Yeah, I just said, thank you, Jesus, all the way home. <laughs> well, let's just see, let's see if you're really thankful for it. See if you think that he can do it again. <laughs> I don't know if I like your preaching. <laughs> well, you're not the first to say it. All right, Jesus uh, spoke, spoke to another man saying, follow me. The man said, Lord, suffer me to first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Another man said to Jesus, Lord, 
I will follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at, at home, at my house. To him, Jesus said, no man putting his, forth his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. A couple of things here. Um, it is said that among, uh, it may, may be among Ameri uh, uh, I'm sorry, Aramaic-speaking people. It may be a Middle Eastern thing. I'm not really sure. But I understand that when it is said, let me first bury my father, this was not a situation where this fellow was standing in front of Jesus and his dad died yesterday. And it's real important to get him buried. And then, you know, I'll, I'll meet you, you know, right here two days from now. I'll meet you on Wednesday or whatever. It, it's not, uh, frankly, I don't necessarily believe that that is the case because, um, you know, the, the way these conversations took place, it was not in a situation where that death was immediate. Um, I, I have a hard time believing that if this death was immediate or imminent, that this fellow would be out in the streets talking to Jesus about these things. But I have a tendency to believe in the idea that this was, as I say, either Aramaic or, or just a Middle Eastern idea, let me first go and bury my father means I, I need to be a part of my family until my father dies, until I'm in charge of my family, before I can commit to being, you know, the Lord's calling him to preach the gospel. And um, and I think that that uh, what he's wh what is being said here is now you know I have a tendency to default toward you know perhaps this might come as a surprise <laughs> but I have a tendency to default toward the worst in mankind I happen to know how sinful I am and uh, how you know the the roots I came from the you know, the history that I have laid out in my life, I'm not really proud of, of who I was before the Lord uh, changed me, but I do have a tendency to think the worst uh, of these situations, and frankly, I kind of think this is cowardice on his part. You have to understand that Jesus' movement in Jerusalem at this time was not anywhere close to perhaps the way the Jesus thing is in the town in which you live today. Christianity is kind of accepted as an established thing. There are Christians, there's Jews, there's Muslims. And so people have a tendency to kind of accept that. You have to understand that in this day and age, there was one God, one religion, there was a temple, there was a priesthood, and I don't know what this Christianity thing is you're talking about, but man, that's got nothing to do with us. That was their attitude. Jesus was there talking about something that would divide this guy from his father. He, Jesus even warned, if you're not willing to forsake your mother and your father, you're not worthy of me. Now, I think that in this particular case, this guy was saying, I'm not going against my dad on this. My dad's a Jew. 
My dad's really not excited so much about you as I am. And <laughs> he would take it very kindly if I said, I'm going to dedicate my life to preaching your gospel. So, can we wait until my dad's dead? What was the answer? Well, okay, it's implied, but what's the answer? No, we can't. We can't wait until your father dies. We can't wait until you grow up enough to be a man and be willing to die for what you believe. You're not even willing to go against your dad for what we believe. And I'm telling you, unless you're willing to die for what you believe, you know that's what take up your cross and follow me means. You know what that take up your cross means? You have to deny yourself. You have to make your reservation at the concentration camp. You have to make your reservation for the gallows, for the firing squad, for the birds to pick your bones. Then follow me. It's a requirement, friend. I know, I know. I've heard, I've heard people say that they're willing to die for Jesus. I'm not, I'm not really so impressed by that. You know, I appreciate what you're saying and all. I don't like the fact that you're saying it because I think in many cases it's said in ignorance. I don't think they're willing to die for Jesus. Oh, I think there's hundreds of people that are willing to kill for him. Uh, yeah, you can find that. I, I always um, am, uh, I listen to people talk about being willing to die for their country. You think that you're willing to die for your country? Talk to them for a few minutes and you know what you're going to find? They're willing to kill for their country, not willing to die for their country. There's a big difference. I know death is involved, but there's a difference. Well, we have hundreds of people that are willing to kill for Jesus. They're willing to reject people for Jesus. They're willing to talk bad about people. They're willing to, to discredit other people, other denominations and other uh, ideas and philosophies and the us for and no more attitude. And I know there's a lot of people like that. As a matter of fact, you could just find a whole lot of people that are saying that they're willing to die for Jesus, but wow. See what you come up with when you ask who's willing to live for it. You're not willing to live for him, but you're willing to die for him? No thanks. No thanks. You don't know the difference between being murdered and martyred. That's your trouble. You see, you can be murdered just for being a jerk. And Christianity makes jerks out of really nice people. I don't know how it does it, but it does it. And you know, somebody can murder you because they're just sick of listening to you. But to be murdered for righteousness' sake. Yeah, you're talking about martyrdom. Friend, if you don't live for Jesus, you can't die for him. Do you hear me? I know you play with little scenarios in your mind. If the jackbooted Russians come marching into your living room and say, Deny Christ, or I will shoot you, you'll say, I'm willing to stand there and say, shoot me. Oh, no, the drama is just dripping everywhere. That's not the way it's going to happen, friend. That's not the way it's going to You know why that won't happen? You won't even stand up to your own dad. You won't even stand up to your own wife. 
<laughs> you better thank God there's no Russians coming into your living room and willing to kill you because it's going to expose you for what you are. A big mouth hypocrite. You know what? Learn to stand up to authority or, or perceived authority. Can you stand up to your wife? Not many men can. <laughs> I'm afraid a lot of women have married their girlfriend. And uh, if you're not willing to stand up to her, you're not willing to die for Jesus. If you're not willing to live for him, you're not even qualified to die for him. So just forget that. Forget that. Nobody's coming to kill you. Nobody's coming to make you deny Jesus or get shot. It's not going to happen. Perhaps in rare occasions, I think about poor little Jess, uh, was her name? Cassie Burnell, I think was her name, uh, that in the Columbine tragedy. You know, she was, she was actually shot for not denying Christ. Well, this was just some stupid kid that he didn't even know who Jesus was. You know, he didn't know. He just hated Christians. Probably school taught him how to do that. But, um, you know, I know there are rare occasions. We have a lot of friends of this ministry that live in other countries around the world. Some of the stories they tell are horrific. Um, so I'm not saying that these things will not happen. I'm just saying, essentially, you know, the American Christian out there, it's probably not going to happen to you. <laughs> probably not. We can't even... We can't, we can't even do the slightest thing that the Lord asks us to do. I preached a little sermon called, You Won't Do Nothing. You, 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 you won't even, how does it, you won't even, you won't do nothing for God. And, and it, you know, we, you know, we talk about, is that a double negative? No, it's not a double negative. It pertains to the Sabbath day. He's not asking you to do anything. And you won't even do nothing for God. You're willing to die for him, but you're not willing to give him his Sabbath day. Okay. All right. If that makes sense to you, go right ahead with it. It doesn't make a lick of sense to me. Our time is gone already? How does that happen? Somebody's just talking too much. <laughs> I got a feeling it's not you, friend. I do appreciate you tuning in our way and listening to the show and uh, I appreciate whatever emails and whatever you have sent me and to say hello and to uh, let me know what you think of the program. Your questions and comments are important to me. If you'd like to write to me, you can do so at don at thinkredinc.com and uh, you can write to the ministry, Think Red Inc. Ministries, P.O. Box 718, Pytown, New Mexico. All right, till we see you again next, next show, I'm going to see you right here. Until then... Think Red Ink, my friend. Bye-bye.
join us again for the next episode in the Words of Jesus series.